You're listening to Ithaca Now, WSCB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Blake Matthews, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear from WICB News Director Beck Legato as they speak with the station managers of the radio stations as they recount their experiences going to the White House this past Wednesday. But first, we have Liam McDermott and Newt Andia with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. Cornell University held a multi-sensory exhibit earlier this month related to grad student Carol Barsity's research on mummified ancient ibis. As part of the exhibit, Big Red Brewing, Brewery Nardine, Big Alice Brewing Finger Lakes, Lucky Hair Brewing Company, and several Cornell grad students worked together to produce a beer inspired by ancient Egypt. The group researched what flavor profiles would have been prominent in ancient Egypt and used yeast that had been harvested out of a 4,000-year-old clay pot. The beer is currently on tap at Ardeen, Big Alice, and Lucky Hair while supplies last. Ithaca police have announced that they have made an arrest in an assault at the Seneca Teacat stop early last month. 32-year-old Tyler J. Morris of Freeville has been charged with felony second-degree assault and is being held at the Tompkins County Jail on a $5,000 bond. Workers employed by Bangs Ambulance Inc. have begun the process of organizing to form a union with the Civil Service Employees Association. A press release by Bangs Ambulance Workers United said the group was made of roughly 50 EMTs, paramedics, and emergency medical dispatchers who are seeking better working conditions and a stronger voice in the job. The company's leadership has been reluctant to acknowledge the union. Acting Police Chief John Jolie is looking to keep his role as he participated in a public forum last Monday at the Greater Ithaca Activity Center with two other candidates looking to take over the role of police chief here in Ithaca, former Ithaca Police Lieutenant Scott Guerin and Binghamton Police Lieutenant Christopher Bracco. The forum gave the public an opportunity to ask the candidates questions and to provide feedback on what they want to see in the Ithaca Chief of Police. Two more forums will be held on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, also at the Greater Ithaca Activity Center. The Tompkins County Workers' Center is continuing its fight to make the minimum wage in the county equal to the living wage. From 2016 to 2021, minimum wage in upstate New York has increased from $9.60 to $13.20 an hour, while the living wage for a single person living in Tompkins County is estimated around $16.61 per hour, and the living wage for families with children is much higher. The group commissioned by the county to look into the feasibility of passing a law to require businesses to pay minimum wage equal to living wage has found that most businesses in the county are in support of the plan. For Newt India, I'm Leah McDermott. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. No mayoral debate is likely to be seen in Ithaca before this November's mayoral election. According to the Ithaca Voice, two separate attempts at debates between the candidates has fallen through, with the Voice itself attempting to organize a debate between Democratic nominee and incumbent Mayor Laura Lewis, independent progressive candidate Katie Sims, and Republican Zachary Wynn. The Voice says that Mayor Lewis chose not to participate, saying it was due to scheduling and a desire for the debate to be hosted by a, quote, neutral, nonpartisan organization like the League of Women Voters. Another debate was planned by Tompkins County progressives between just Sims and Lewis, but Mayor Lewis pulled out of that debate as well. The winner of the mayoral election will fill the final year of Savante Myvik's unfinished term and will be up for re-election in 2023. 
A report by the New York State Attorney General Letitia James says the shooter in the racially motivated Buffalo mass shooting was radicalized by online platforms. According to Politico, the shooter used fringe online sites like 4chan and used the streaming site Twitch to promote the shooting and encourage copycats. The report also states that a lack of, quote, oversight, transparency, and accountability allowed hateful and extremist views to proliferate. The Attorney General and Governor Hochul are now calling for legislation at the state and federal level to combat the spread of images and videos of murder. A New York State Supreme Court judge has ruled that part of the state's absentee ballot laws are unconstitutional. According to the Albany Times Union, Judge Diane L. Freestone's ruling reinstates a previous law which allowed a voter who voted by absentee ballot but later voted in person on election day to have their in-person vote override their absentee vote. Additionally, the judge ruled that boards of elections must preserve absentee ballots, a move which could delay vote counting. While Freestone harshly criticized rules allowing voters to use fear of COVID-19 as a valid reason for absentee voting, she also said she could not strike it down at this time. Democrats are expected to appeal this decision. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now, and I'm your host, Blake Matthews. This past Wednesday, Ithaca College, among a couple of other schools on the East Coast, were invited to go to the White House to celebrate World College Radio Day. They were able to hear from multiple different representatives from the White House and even received the tour of the Eisenhower Executive Building and the press room. WICB News Director Beck Legato spoke with Connor Hebbard and Andy Tell, station managers of WICB and VIC, and the two representatives who got to have the chance to attend this event. On Wednesday, October 19th, General Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, along with the two station managers of the radio stations, VIC and WICB-FM, Andy Tell and Connor Hibbard, went to the White House to celebrate World College Radio Day. They heard from notable speakers like Bharat Ramamurthy, the Deputy Director for the National Economic Council. You know, since we, the President has taken office, what we've seen is, a, uh, in our view, an incredible bounce back in the economy. When the president took office, the unemployment rate was over 6%. Uh, in this country, it's now at 3.5%, which is a historically low uh, level. More than 10 million new jobs have been created since the president came into office. Nick Conger, the senior advisor of the Climate Policy Office. It's really a reflection of just how seriously and ambitious the president has um, been on the climate issue. Um, and so we're a relatively small team, but we're kind of the central kind of coordinating point for implementing the president's climate agenda across the administration. And even heard from Vice President Kamala Harris. You guys are so important. Your voices are so important. Um, you know, there is so much about where we are as a world and as a nation that really, um, we're in unsettled times. I spoke with Andy and Connor about their experience from figuring out that they were going to the White House to touring parts of the house. We started talking about how they hadn't received the call until this past Tuesday, only a day before the event was set to start. So we received an e Jeremy Menard, station uh, uh, director of radio operations and technical director for both radio stations, received an email from the uh, 
deputy like director of communications from the White House, I believe. That was Andy Tell, a senior di- television digital media major and the station manager of VIC Radio. The director of communications that Andy was referring to is an Ithaca College alumni, Rob Flaherty, and reached out to see if Ithaca was interested in sending students to the event. Yeah, no, but like the deputy director that was running the whole thing, was running like this whole thing with like, was running like this uh, project where a bunch of other schools would meet in Washington, D.C. in the White House and everyone was invited and they would speak to members of the Biden administration from like different sections to talk about uh, nationwide issues that specifically like college-age students had a little bit more interest in because they were directly a little bit more focused on, but uh, it was the deputy director of that, like, and their direct superior, I believe. um, He's an Ithaca alumni, so basically he heard that this thing was going on, and he said, oh, cool, let's invite Ithaca College because they have really good radio stations let's invite them too, and we were kind of a little bit of like an afterthought. Like there was a lot of the schools there were schools that were like the ones that like are really in charge of like a World College Radio Day mm-hmm. or colleges that were in the D.C. area. Some of the schools that were invited includes Howard University, the College of New Jersey, and Hartwick College, among a couple of others. Connor and Andy, though, continued to speak on the timing of it all and how quickly it all occurred but it came together super quickly. Like, we got yeah, that email at, like, 11.30-ish. Um, I found out during my shift on WICB, Jeremy just walked in and said, you want to go to the White House tomorrow? Um, and then we left, like, 18 hours later. It was crazy, crazy quick. The whole thing was such a whirlwind. That was Connor Hibbard, a senior television digital media major and the station manager of WICB-FM Radio. Andy continued talking on how he got the news from Jeremy. Yeah, we found out, we asked the uh, other schools that were there what time they, when they found them. They found out on Monday. Mm. So it was very, like, pushed together very quickly for everyone. And we were just kind of like a, I found out at noon, I was just chilling here in the exec staff office working on some stuff. Jeremy walked in like, hey, Andy, can I talk to you for a sec? Not bad. Nothing bad happened. I just need to talk to you. And, like, he invited me and I was like, you need to know if you're in or out. And then I'm like, yep, I'm in. And then I just... Canceled all my plans for Wednesday. I dropped everything I was going to do and packed. The Inflation Reduction Act was a large part of the administration's discussion with the students, with it being targeted towards college-aged kids. This act was created to make the cost of living more affordable and, in addition, help make health care more affordable as well. Though it does not include anything on compromising the cost of college, Kamala Harris spoke with the radio representatives about their plans to make college more affordable. Well, we, this is exactly the point of what we're doing, which is to deal with student loan debt in a number of ways that is about reducing, reducing the debt burden, $10,000, and for Pell Grant recipients, $20,000. And one of the important points that you're making that the policy seeks to address is the part of the issue is that people can't afford tuition. And especially tuition combined with the cost of the books that need to be bought, the cost of you know an apartment or a dorm room, and the cost of food. And so one of the things that has happened as part of this issue is that we have a whole population of people who don't complete their studies because they just can't afford to stay in school. We purposely designed the student loan debt relief so that you don't have to have graduated 
to take advantage of the debt relief. And to the extent that you all can help us get out the word on that, that would be really important. Because I think some people think, oh, this only applies if I graduated. No, even if you didn't graduate, you can apply. And, and if you go online, we just started beta testing the thing on, on the um, Department of Education's website. The way we've been testing it, it takes about five minutes to apply for debt relief, and we need to get that out. But your point about two-year colleges and community colleges is critically important. And again, getting back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of developing the workforce to take on clean energy jobs and the jobs of the 21st century, plenty of those jobs require education after high school but not a four-year degree. So we want to create incentives and create a pathway for people to get into those educational in, and, and I'm a huge believer in the importance of community colleges in particular. They're part of what has built our middle class and, pu and pushing people into that because we're giving them the resources and actually funding those educational institutions to do their work. Andy and Connor spoke more on their reactions to the administration's description of the bill. It felt really good, actually. It felt like directly from the source. There wasn't like, an, it was nice knowing that there wasn't like a, a media like a medium in between us, like yeah. someone relaying the message. So it was very great. They had like a very undiluted message about like, hey, here's all these problems. Here's what the Biden administration uh, has done. Here's what we're going to keep doing. Uh, and here's like our next steps forward. And like, here's what our goals are. Yeah, it was sort of encouraging. You could, I mean, we were both in, we're all in media. We can sort of, and I think our generation in general is good at recognizing spin and sort of fakeness when we see it. And you could sort of see the spin. Um, you could see like the talking points coming out, but it, it, even if there was there was spin on what they were saying, it didn't ever feel um, disingenuous. It was like uh, there was no theater in it, really. It was it was they they just came out and we asked questions. Everybody at the table asked questions um, about issues, and they were like, "Here's step one, two, three. What we're doing, and here's what we want to do in the future." Um, so it was very encouraging in that way to see us to see them talking to to college students um, as humans. There was no talking down to us. It, it was a very it was a very fulfilling experience. Talking about the change in opinions from general perspective of the Biden administration to now after having been to the White House and being able to hear from the administration themselves, Andy and Connor talked about how honest the administration was with their plans for the future. Well, I always felt like. My opinions on the Biden administration are, uh, I feel like you could always do a bit more. Like it always felt like you kind of like, was always kind of doing like things a bit quarter of the way. Like, you know, he was trying to do stuff, but then like they're kind of like, he's they were barely emphasized like, he's only been in office for like a year and a half now. And he still was able to do like a bipartisan infrastructure bill that put a trillion dollars into the economy as well as start got us back into the Paris Climate Agreement as well as doing all of these cool things to try and all of these initiatives to reduce that are estimated to reduce uh, America's carbon emission by 40% by 2030. And like, it's all these, these kind of like very like short term, like all these, these things that he's doing that we're trying to like, yeah, they're re-emphasizing like, yeah, he's done a good amount in like the past like year and a half. I still, like I'm, it was very clarifying, you know? Like it was very nice to see like, okay, like, because I always get my news from like news sources or Twitter or social media and like all these forms of like, mm -hmm. all like these kind of like <coughs> highly opinionated sources. So just hearing straight facts from the horse's mouth. Yeah, no, it was, it, I, I completely agree. It was, um, again, sometimes it, it's, it's um, the, the amount of sources reporting on something and the amount of opinions bouncing around and the amount of voices is overwhelming. So to hear um, 
just the facts from the administration was 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 really rewarding. And and to to know that you know the Inflation Reduction Act did more than reduce inflation. Um, that's that was my impression of it going in that it reduced inflation based on the name. Um, but there 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 was a lot that they were doing and. Um, and they were also very receptive to our questions and very receptive to feedback. And um, when students would push them a little bit and say, um, are you doing enough? What can you do more? They were very receptive to that, um, which is interesting. Yeah, it was, all, it was honestly very good that like, there was no, anytime someone asked a question, they actually did give like a legitimate answer that was like really well-crafted and like very lengthy. And it yeah. wasn't like something like, yeah, I have no real good answer to that. Let's move on to the next question. Like it, all the questions <coughs> were like very, uh, all the answers were very direct. Yeah. And, like, yeah. There was no. There was no theater. Yeah. No theater. It was straight politics. The, I got the impression that they clearly knew what they were doing and they knew like. Oh yeah. Yeah. They barely really didn't know what to do, which was kind of nice. They continued to speak on wanting to hear more from Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House's press secretary, though Pierre was interrupted by the vice president herself, Kamala Harris. Andy and Connor spoke on their reactions to Kamala's speech. She gave a really long speech that kind of sounded uh, very rehearsed. It had like the uh, kind of like midterm, I need to get these talking points out of the way, like say these because like everyone was recording, we're spreading yeah. the message. So we got like all like these stuff that like, it was very much... Uh, kind of like stump speechy but it felt very genuine like you know it was all about like specifically for youth and it felt kind of nice to get that but I she really got my attention when she took questions like she took more questions than any of the yeah. other speakers and she gave a lot more profound answers about like and a lot more like really detailed in-depth like responses to all of her like we were at, I don't remember a lot of the questions but they were kind of tough like she was really like uh yeah they were they were other students were, were really pushing on um College debt things and free college, um, free community college was a big talking point with her. Um, yeah, she's a gifted speaker and she 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 knew how to get to the yeah. the heart of what we were feeling about the. Yeah, no, there's a lot of she was talking. We were asking a lot of questions about uh, uh, private debt instead of federal relief debt, and like the what the Biden administration is doing to try and alleviate people from going into debt into the first place. Mm -hmm. And she was very like, and she was like kind of like there's stuff in the works we'll mm -hmm. get to that one day like yeah they're definitely thinking they're definitely thinking of stuff up there which is like kind of reassuring honestly but like the whole like um it was really nice that like seeing her kind of unfiltered a bit like because she had no idea what questions we were gonna ask no one i don't think anyone was vetted for questions no like so it was all very like honest and like these are like the first time you're hearing and very genuine like interaction between like uh a political, a presidential administration and like student media, which I really appreciate. Station manager of television and radio operations here at Ithaca College, Jeremy Menard, was able to record Kamala Harris's speech to the students, and here is what she said. You know, um, we look at it in the context of a war in Europe, 70 years, we had peace and relative peace and stability. And now, the international norms that were, were guiding principles for, for most nations around the importance of sovereignty and territorial integrity has been upended. You look at the fact that we thought that the issue of voting rights was long settled based on those courageous fighters for civil rights and for justice who fought for the Voting Rights Act, a young John Lewis, and now we see states purposely intentionally attacking 
the right to vote, the freedom to vote, by, I believe, intentionally making it more difficult for people to vote. And we just recently witnessed the highest court in our land, the United States Supreme Court, take a constitutional right that had been recognized from the people of America, from the women of America. That on top of the fact that during your lifetime, we have seen, I think it's the top 10 hottest summers, I'll get you the facts on that, the 10 hottest summers that we've ever witnessed. During your lifetime, we've endured a pandemic of unpredictable proportion and the damage it caused in terms of the loss of so many things, loss of life, loss of normalcy. And so when I say to you that your voices are so important, I do think of it in the context of all of that and how much we need you all to lead because you have everything at stake in this moment. And you know it so profoundly and so intimately that I think your voices are gonna be pivotal to moving our nation to where we need to be as we go forward and hopefully not backward. You know, there's so much about this moment that also, because of the unpredictability of so much of this, um, that has created an environment where people feel that they're living in unsettled times. And also, in these moments, there is then a lot of confusion. What's up and what's down? What's the state of the law? What are my rights? And where that confusion exists, there is then an environment that is ripe for misinformation and disinformation and even predatory behavior. And so again, with the gift and the skill you have as journalists, the importance of your ability to speak about fact and truth and to combat misinformation and disinformation becomes so critical, not only to clear up the record, whatever that might be, but to help settle us, to help us focus on what is productive. And that, after all, is the, one of the founding principles of our nation was that we would have a free and open press because we understood that central to a democracy is that voices that are critical, voices that are honest, voices that bring transparency, voices that speak fact and distinguish fact from fiction are essential to a stable nation and to its democratic principles. You know, as vice president, I have now, my team has told me, met with, either in person or by phone, 100 world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, chancellors, and kings. And here's the thing I can tell you about America's leadership. When we walk in those rooms, historically and traditionally, we are able to walk in those rooms with our chin up and our shoulders back, talking about 
the importance and the strength of democracy. Talking about the importance of a free and open press, the importance of rule of law, the importance of human rights. We've held ourselves out to be and have been treated as a model of what a commitment to democratic principles looks like. But here's what I can tell this table of role models that you already know. When you are a role model, people watch what you do to see if it matches up with what you say. And so the things that are happening in our nation right now, my fear is, give license to autocrats around the world to say to their people, you want to focus on what it means to be a democracy and keep talking about the United States? Well, look what they just did. And the implication then of what we do in our own nation in terms of the impact not only on the people of our nation, but people around the world. So when I think about all of this, I do think of it in terms of the duality of the nature of democracies. On the one hand, when a democracy is intact, it is extremely strong in terms of what it does to uplift its people around founding principles, such as institutions in a society that, that, that fosters equality and fairness and judgment and truth. That's the strength of democracies when they are intact. The duality is that democracies by nature are extremely fragile. Will only be as strong as our willingness to fight for it. And again, that's where you all come in. So I will remind you of what has already in your life and experience and aspirations and talent determined that you will lead at this stage of your life as you all have chosen to lead by doing what you are doing. It is so important. And um, we are 20 days away from a midterm election that in so many ways is going to decide the future trajectory of our country. And I would encourage you to continue doing what you've already chosen to do with your time and your talent, which is continue to clear up the confusion as much as you can, use your pen and your fingertips as you punch away to remind people of what is fact, help them not fear what often is fiction, and remind them that we are not alone, no one is alone, we're all in this together. I talked a bit about the impact that the event had on both Andy and Connor, and they emphasized just how unreal it felt to them. Which is why it was such a whirlwind of experience for me to be to go 18 hours doing like a folk music show on Tuesday morning at a college station, um, a great college station, the best in the country, but a great co a college station, and then 18 hours later, you're talking one on one with the vice president of the United States. Like I'm still processing. And I was thinking, like freshman year, me is like the domino effect of uh, 
I want to listen. I want to play some sad music on the radio too. I'm now meeting the vice president of the United <laughs> yeah, States of America. It's crazy. Oh yeah, no, it definitely feels like it didn't happen. You know, it just <laughs> it feels wild because like I've been like the time for me knowing it, knowing about it that's happening to it being finished is a lot short. It was like. Yeah, I could like I had no prep time to like realize like yeah this is real this happened like it was all just kind of like we got just we got thrown into it and then I'm like okay I have 15 things I need to prepare and it was just like go 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 yeah no it was very much like we gotta drop it was very much a drop everything Every, drop everything you're doing this is happening now and then afterwards you can like look back on it and like damn that was incredible um well, one of my a big a couple days out. One of the big takeaways is um, the vice president spoke on this. She gave like a very inspirational speech when she first came in about um, like the importance of what we're studying as, as media professionals and, and journalists um, and, and, and things like that. And um, I really took away how important media and media relations are for this administration um, after the previous administration's famously not great relations with the media. Um, very important um, for them. What, what, what we heard a lot from administration officials was get people um, where they live and where they work get the message out there so um, reach them directly um, and we're the sort of liaisons to do that so it was very interesting to see um, how important media is um, in getting out their message and uh, what their strategies were there Andy spoke on their favorite person to hear from the chief of staff of the Department of Education Sheila Nix she was really good. She was talking a lot about uh, educational-related issues. She was talking specifically about uh, student debt relief, and she really went into detail on that, about how like they had like a three-pronged like plan in order to like forgive federal student debt and then like uh, get uh, make sure that try and figure out a plan in order to make sure that people don't go into debt for education in the first place, and then on top of that, try and institute free community college, mm -hmm. which I thought was that was like one of the first times I was really hearing. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear what's in the pipeline. And she was extremely, extremely knowledgeable. Obviously, she worked in the White House, but um, she was, uh, they were all incredible speakers. Um, and the Vice President um, really knew how to energize the room and speak to like, uh, it was policy, 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 and like specifics, which we appreciated as, as media people. Um, but then she just like warmed our hearts and gave us like a halftime speech to like go out and like, Rule the day. Sheila Nix spoke quite a bit on community college, K through 12 education, and student aid that is now available to students and provides relief and an income. Nix also emphasized that the site studentaid.gov is now live and available to all students in need of financial aid and, quote, takes less than five minutes. Here are some of the other points that she touched on in her speech to the students. So I think uh, Barat and the vice president both talked a bit about the kind of three-pronged strategy, which is the, you know, the immediate piece for people who we are able to forgive some debt right now. Reforming the loan systems for current borrowers and future borrowers, and then the cost of higher education as an issue overall. So uh, we talked a little bit about the debt relief, 10,000 or 20 of your Pell recipient, income limits 125,000 for individual, 250,000 for a family. That's all in process right now. So I think Barat mentioned income-driven repayment. In some ways, I am more excited about that change in policy than the debt relief because it's long-lasting and it's for the future. So if you, and, and I think it gives people flexibility, right? So if you have debt, but you wanna do a job that's 
lower paying, you wanna take a break between jobs, you run into hard times, it's based on a percentage of your income. So if you're making zero, your payment's zero. And the other thing we're doing there is that has happened sometimes with some programs in the past, but the interest kept accruing. But now we're gonna say, if you are out of work or you're in a situation where you, have, you don't have income, the government is going to pay that interest accrual for you so that it doesn't just keep going up, up, and up and doesn't really help you in the long run. Under income-driven repayment plans, um, for undergraduate loans, you would pay no more than 5% of your income. And after 20 years of paying 5% of whatever your income is, then those loans are forgiven. So one, it's not haunting you forever. And two, it's manageable. You can, you can do 5% and it can be based on your income. So you have the flexibility to take a range of salaries. So that is one program I'm really excited about because I think it, it helps beyond the immediate. The second one that we've been working on is public service loan forgiveness. So if you go into public service and you do that for 10 years, you can have your loans forgiven. You pay for 10 years, the remainder is forgiven. And so another thing that would be great on your radio shows is we have a waiver right now because the program um, in previous administrations was not run well and people got a lot of rejections. We opened up uh, a one-year period that ends October 31st of this year to have people reapply and we'll reassess um, under a more favorable <laughs> mindset. And we've had, if you see on social media, a ton of people have had their loans forgiven, teachers, nurses, others that work in nonprofit industries. And that is another program that's going to be available um, going forward so that if you decide to do something more in the public interest, then you don't have to worry that you have unaffordable debt. So th those are the kind of new programs that will be going on. In addition, on the, on the straight cancellation, we've tried to do some work for schools that have been predatory. So a Corinthian, ITT, and others, we have also done something called borrower defense. So if you, got, if you were kind of roped into something unfairly, we have now forgiven that debt as well. So I think that's kind of all the stuff around the, the loan programs. Now, the, the larger question is, what do you do to make college more affordable in the future? And I think that you've raised that. It's, it's a complicated question, and there's some things that we've been working hard on. One of them is to really try to work on free community college. I was um, in the second term of the Obama administration, Dr. Biden's chief of staff. As you probably know, she's a community college professor and still a community college professor. And so she has a real passion around community colleges and how they can benefit so many people. And so we've been working on something, we started working on it then called America's College Promise. And there are now a lot of cities and states that do provide um, two years free of community college. We'd like that to be everywhere. We're working with Congress to try to make that happen. And that I think can give people a lot of options. But the key to that is that it's not just the community college is free, it's that if you can start talking about that in high school, if you can start talking about to students when they just start, that if you take some dual enrollment classes, if you do some of these programs, you can, you can get your two-year degree for a lot less money and a lot less time. There was um, really interesting programs in Tennessee where they started mentoring um, students in high school so that they could get help doing the FAFSA form, help with the community college application. Um, one of the high schools in Nashville had a, um, kind of a mini credit union and a health facility. So also students could get some experience in the healthcare industry and the financial services industry. And I think maybe um, 
some of you have mentioned, like maybe not getting a four-year degree. You know, maybe you do, you get some credits in high school, you do another year under one of these programs, and you can get a job in finance. You can get a job in healthcare. Maybe you decide to go back later and get a four-year degree if you think it's worth it, or maybe you don't because you can get a good job with, with that um, credential. So that's, that is one thing to just try to think of different ways to get people, I, the vice president said, don't call it higher, higher education, just like post-secondary education, and I think that's right. Um, the other piece of that is uh, other pathways, career pathways, and I think that's something you'll see coming out of the administration in a big way in the next few months. It's like, what else can we do? We just passed the um, Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, the Infrastructure Act, so there's gonna be a lot of jobs there, so we need to do a partnership between community college, high school, and industry so that people can get really good jobs but get trained for the right credentials, so you don't wanna put the time in and then not have it. So you need the partnership with the businesses. And I think, um, you know, pathways. We, you know, we look at it as pathways. What is your pathway? And it could be a two-year college. It could be a four-year college. It could be a one-year certificate. But to try to get people to a place where they can do a job, as the vice president mentioned, that they actually like to get up and go to every day. And then, then that college accountability piece on the traditional four-year colleges. How do we keep them from keeping increasing uh, tuition? So it's, it's hard to do that just through the Department of Education, but um, Barat mentioned maybe we should look at some limitation on federal financial aid for, student, for colleges that raise their prices too much. You've got to be very careful that you don't punish the students. So you've got to figure out like what's the right balance, because if you say we're not going to let your students get financial aid because your tuition's too high, what, you know, what does that do for students and student choice? So we, we've got to be careful on how we think about that, but it's definitely worth thinking about. The other thing that we sometimes think about is just like name and shame, because right now, sometimes people just don't know. So there's a college scorecard that everyone can look at. That's another great piece of information to share with your listeners. Um, so you can see what is the return on investment at this college. If you graduate, what's the average amount of debt you'll have? How much, what is the starting salary at those schools? So that people can have some information. One of the things we wanna do on uh, you know, as going forward on the new regulations on the income-driven repayment, is to have students um, acknowledge the amount of debt that they would have to take to go to that school based on their financial aid package. Because I think, you know, when you look at a, and, and maybe the parents, uh, you know, or, or somebody else who can help them, because you're 17, you might not, you know, it, it's like, oh, I have a loan. You don't really know what it means. And so, you know, having more transparency and disclosure in the system always helps as well. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we have a new um, assistant secretary. He came from Indiana University, and he was the chancellor there. And he said, you know, a lot of schools really care how they're compared to their colleagues. So if you had, you know, if we said, here's five states, and here's how these states rank in terms of what your tuition's going to be and how much debt you're going to have to take, that kind of information and getting it out to people can be really useful. So, so name and shame, it's, it's not always the, it's not the only thing we can do, but it is one part of a message thing. One of the co-founders of World College Radio Day, Rob Quick, was also in attendance at the event and was described by Andy and Connor as, and I'm quoting here, very energetic. He's, he's awesome. He's, he's, I didn't speak to him personally, um, or if I did, it was in a group, um, not one-on-one, -on -one, but he seemed so energized and passionate and such a, a, an incredible organizer and um, really a great advocate for college radio and for young media professionals, emerging media professionals, um, to get us this opportunity. He was fantastic, and I'm, I'm super, super grateful to him for um, 
setting up this whole World College Radio Day thing and that you could really tell that he was very excited. Like this was like the highest thing. Like he, because uh, World College Radio Day is like his like big thing. That's like his big project. And so like World College Radio Day eventually leading to something like this and getting heavily involved with this. This is probably like he yeah. was very excited about that. He had like a signed letter from Joe Biden like acknowledging World College Radio Day, and he like brought it with us as like a prop for everyone's photos. Like if anyone was taking pictures, like hey, or take this as a, like a prop for the picture. Yeah. We wrapped up our conversation speaking about how this event has inspired them to continue their work with radio and making them more politically aware. I I think it's just making me more politically aware, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it's making me want to, uh, it makes me want to think, focus more on what radio can do in order to broadcast messages and try and reach out to as many listeners as possible in order to say something worthwhile and very important. Uh, Connor shot down my idea for a... Uh, Political chat, political talk show on WICB. Can't do it. So Can't I, do it. I'm gonna make Sad Lad political now. I personally like. I'm a senior in college. I'm facing a lot of dread about what's coming next, and I was having a, a tough time staying motivated uh, for radio. We were, we're doing so many things, um, but this invitation definitely re-energized me, and you sort of get stuck in a bubble in college radio sometimes. Um, in, in my experience. Um, you do it with the people that you love, um, but and you all know that you're doing something important. But just to hear that from an outside perspective, somebody other than Jeremy um, or you know one of the deans at, at Park, to hear that from the vice president of the United States, is incredibly affirming and really, um, really, really re-energize me to um, be a good leader uh, for for IC Radio a good um, facilitator and make sure that we're doing the best we can to inform and entertain the public. For more information about the event, check out Ithaca Intercom's post regarding the event as told by Jeremy Menard, and check out WICB and VIC on Instagram to see their posts about the event. For WICB News, I'm Beck Legato. That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud. And subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jerry Menard, WICP Station Manager, Connor Hebert, and Programming Director, Harrison Connor. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director, Beth Legato, with assistance from News Managing Director, Jordan Brooking, News Production Director, Mbayani Abarasan, and our Web Coordinator, Evan Clark. All the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback? Story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.